I don't want those cars built in Japan. I don't want them built in South Korea. I want them to be built in Flint, Michigan. I want them to be built in the United States of America. That's the kind of change you can expect from an Obama administration. We'll do it all Everything On our own Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Tuesday, November 11th. It's around 3.45 here in Washington, D.C. That was Barack Obama you just heard at the top of the podcast, speaking at a rally in Flint, Michigan, back in September when he was just a presidential hopeful. Boy, just imagine if someone recorded your every word and then went and was able to play it back to you and say, did you really mean that? Well, so far, Obama is sticking to his promise. In his first face-to-face meeting with President Bush since his victory, Obama reportedly urged President Bush to take immediate action to help U.S. automakers. So we're going to take our podcast today to look at just how bad off one auto manufacturer is, General Motors, and to try and understand why it says it needs government assistance. Because it's interesting, if you listen back to what General Motors CEO Rick Wagoner said just last week when General Motors released its third quarter earnings report, He did not sound like a guy whose company was in danger of having to declare bankruptcy. Headlines are a tough quarter in an extremely difficult market environment due to the growing impact of the credit crisis on the real economy. Uh, Stepping back, GM's been following a consistent uh, business strategy to build a very solid auto company for the long term. We made dramatic reductions in structural costs, as you know. We've consistently delivered award-winning products to the marketplace here and around the world. We've grown aggressively in emerging markets around the world, many of which we have leadership positions in, and we've made meaningful strides in becoming a leader in advanced propulsion technology. Despite all these actions, these efforts are threatened by a severe downturn in sales and a sharp drop in revenue caused by the widespread credit crisis. I doubt there's anyone who disputes that we're operating in very challenging times, certainly one of the most challenging in the history of the U.S. auto industry. I played that for Kimberly Rodriguez. She's an economist with Grant Thornton, which advises manufacturers and unions, all parts of the automotive industry. I asked her if she thought Rick Wagner there was being too optimistic. It depends on how you see his job. Uh, It it would arguably be the job of a CEO to be optimistic about the the future of the company, to not be a victim. I think what Rick Wagner is doing is is attempting to drive towards a solution which admittedly will, will require access to cash at this point, likely from the government. When I listen to that tape of Rick Wagner, he's basically saying, look, our business model is fine. We're victims of the credit crunch. Is that true? There's truth to the fact that the credit crunch has has dramatically impacted their business. It's true that no business, um, regardless of how, how really strong the business structure is, really can be expected to withstand 30 and 40 percent drops in sales in, in a very short time period. So that certainly is is unusual. That, that being said, uh, certainly there are some structural problems with the domestic autos right now in regards to their excess capacity and in terms of their debt that has to be fixed in order for them to be viable long term. 
I was interested to to read that they made profits with their sales in Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East. That, that that's absolutely correct. I mean, the, really, they're the global footprint and the global automotive industry is very healthy. We certainly don't feel that here in Detroit. Um, but but globally, uh, there's been double-digit growth. Now, that growth has been suppressed because of the, the, the now global financial crisis. But uh, certainly, as they will f- recover to a certain point here in the U.S., globally, uh, they'll recover much more quickly. Can you explain for us, in a nutshell, what their problems are? Literally, like today, they say they need a lot of cash. Why? Uh, today... They need a lot of cash because sales are down. Their costs are, are not very flexible. And as a result, they are going to lose money until they can downsize to the sales volume. The problem is restructuring costs a lot of money. What do you mean actually by restructuring? By restructuring, I mean uh, closing down plants, reducing overhead, making uh, manufacturing facilities more flex- flexible so that they can turn over vehicle models more quickly. Um, I mean, why does it actually take so long to shut down a plant? I mean, couldn't you shut one temporarily, and that would reduce your costs a lot, I would think? Well, the problem is many of the costs are contractual. So if the plant is leased, for example, that cost doesn't go away. So their problem is basically they've had a huge reduction in sales, like everybody. So that's just less money coming in, and their costs have not dropped. And so they need money to... They need money until they can either change that situation or until sales go back up. How much cash do they need? That number is right now being quoted anywhere between you know ten and thirty billion. And they can't get that by issuing bonds or something. The, the market just doesn't exist right now. No one's willing to lend them. No, no lend it to them at the rate they're willing to pay. That's right. They can't sell their assets. They can't leverage their assets. Um, they, they, there's no activity for them in, in the market. I mean, today, the, the shares of General Motors were down at some point to a 65-year low, uh, like 40% down from Friday. It, it, it's really laughable when you take a look at, at what it would cost to buy GM. Uh, it'd be about a billion dollars. I mean, it's nothing. You, you mean that if I were to look at all the stocks out there and added up the price and said, how much does it cost me to buy them all? I could have all of GM for a billion dollars. That's right. But you also have all their debt. How much is their debt? Uh, about uh, about $45 billion. They've got about $35 billion debt, about $7 billion in secured debt. That all was intended to be paid off by future profits from selling cars. Right. Let me read you a bit from a, a letter from one of our listeners, uh, Robin. And she writes, uh, I've been reading a lot lately about GM, Ford, and Chrysler and how they're either merging, running out of cash, asking the government for a bailout, or a combination of all three. I was wondering what the impact of letting them go bankrupt would really have on our economy. I work in Silicon Valley where companies have risen and fallen, but I've never heard about the government bailing them out or getting any government help. Well, I, the the impact is huge. It goes beyond the number of employees that are, are employed in the auto industry because the multiplier effect in auto, arguably for every one job, maybe five or more uh, people are, are dramatically affected. That's because of all the suppliers and such. Because of all the suppliers. Transportation would be affected. Arguably, um, uh, I'm sure even uh, radio stations and PR groups would be affected ultimately because of the vast number of people that that are affected. Um, but but I mean, what is wrong with bankruptcy? I suppose that's the question well, Robin's I, asking there. I'd like to uh, differentiate between the type of bankruptcy. I, 
I think a bankruptcy, in what we call kind of a prepackaged bankruptcy, a controlled bankruptcy where um, the the suppliers uh, are not put in a position where they receive no payment for the goods that they've delivered for their outstanding receivables to, to, to GM, for example, um, a deal in which um, – that the, the debt is compromised, but but production continues, and the base structure of of the company is in place. The, the company continues to function. You mean the company can, really continues to function, and it can be in a relatively seamless way. Now, clearly, equity is affected, but at this point, uh, ec- equity is 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 no longer a stakeholder here. They are own, not in control. You mean control. people who own GM stock? That's right. Yeah. So are you in favor of the government stepping in and somehow helping them out either by buying stock or loaning more money or something? Well, I'm 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 fairly particular about the method of assistance. I I think that I think that it makes sense to give the the domestic automotive automotive companies an opportunity to survive for the reasons that I've mentioned in terms of keeping the manufacturing base here um and taking advantage of the global growth in the automotive industry and and because of the the times are arguably today not not all of their making that being said i'm i'm not in favor of um a, a, just a a straight loan that that simply creates additional uh, leverage issues without having any kind of of uh, a general restructuring you think either a graceful sort of helping them go through bankruptcy or uh, some sort of assistance. Those those are the two things right. they should be looking at. Don't let them crash in an ugly way. Don't let them crash in an ugly way. Exactly. Where the question this leads to, I think, is where does the government stop? Originally, we were talking about financial institutions. Now we're talking about places that make cars. Can't someone else just raise their hand and say, you know, I'm really important too? Well, I think arguably automotive is is. A, a very big piece. There aren't too many other industries that could affect uh, the the U.S. like the auto industry can. And and frankly, I'm not a fan necessarily of of doing more. I, I would be a fan of taking the money that's already been set aside um, and taking a piece of that. A piece of the 700 billion. Correct. I I I, I think they should stop where they're at now. Personally, spend the 700 billion, but no more after that. Yeah, you need to stop. Yep. Thank you again to Kimberly Rodriguez, economist with Grant Thornton. We reached her in Michigan. And that means she's not far from one of our listeners named Chad. He's an electrical engineer. He's going to school in Detroit. And he was wondering about the future of the auto industry. So he rang us up for an economist house call. Essentially, I'm an engineer. I'm a working engineer. I'm 31, going to school at nights. I have a wife and two kids. Uh, my wife doesn't work, but she's also an engineer, so if times got really tough, she could possibly join the job market again. Uh, I live in a house that is probably worth 20 to 30% less than I owe, and I, I guess that's one of my chief concerns, is I still have nearly three years left of school, and uh, I'm wondering when I'm done with school, will I be able to even sell my house for what I owe? And also, in the interim... I have no idea what the future of the automotive industry is or what the government's reaction would be if things got even worse than they are, which they seem definite, head, definitely heading in that direction. What I like about Chad's situation is is the going to school part. I think that getting an MBA um, for an engineer is, is really a, a great investment because you have this solid uh, background, technical skills, and you, this really an MBA really helps a lot of people 
uh, move up into more senior uh, executive positions. It also makes you more more flexible. So the fact that you have this uh, deep background in, in, in autos and the fact we're a bit worried about the auto industry um, doesn't bother me as much because you're going to get the MBA. So I think it's a, I think it's a very good investment. And as long as your your cash flow is okay and you can you know, afford uh, the payments on the house, I also wouldn't worry about uh, the time frame. I think you said you've got another uh, couple of years before uh, you'll be out of school. And I think what's going to happen is we, one way or another, we'll get uh, a little bit of inflation uh, in the U.S. So you, what, obviously, what I think, you have a loan that, that at least uh, in, the, in the near term doesn't, doesn't change in value. It's a, it's a nominal fixed loan, and, you, and your interest rate is probably locked in for a while. Uh, you have an adjustable rate mortgage, uh, which is what most people have. That's what, that's what I have. Um, and so your, your loan doesn't change. If we get a little bit of inflation, which is what, what, I, what I would expect, not this year, but in two, three, four years down the road, and that's going to raise sorry. the value of your house. Simon, sorry to interrupt. Is that because the government is spending so much money on this bailout and keeping interest rates so low to, to avoid the worst of this recession and crisis? Is that why you think there's going to be inflation? Yes, I, I think that um, the, the thing to avoid, and, and, and you know, Mr. Bernanke, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is very clear on this, thing to avoid at all costs is prices falling. Because then Chad would have a problem. Before prices would be falling, his loan remains constant in, in, in let's say it's $100,000, that remains constant, and the house price keep, keeps, going, keeps going down. That would be terrible for him. It'd be terrible for me. It'd be terrible for anyone uh, who, who owns a house or has any kind of debt, because our debts are in nominal terms. But if you have a little bit of it, too much inflation, obviously, bad thing, we're not going to go there. But a little bit of inflation um, over the next uh, two, three, four years, I think, um, would actually help reduce debt burdens. It'll help uh, move Chad back to a situation where it'll be less painful to sell the house. I'm not saying that he's, it's going to be a, a real happy when he sells the house, but I think it'll get out of that. And I think the investment he's making um, uh, in, in his education is really going to pay off nicely down the road. If autos recover, which you know, I, I think they should to some degree, we need to have cars. I, I can't see this country working without people driving cars around a lot. Um, that would be good. But if, if he wants to move on beyond autos, he's going to have the opportunity to do that too. So you see, Simon, people driving cars that are made in Detroit? <laughs> well, I'm not picky about Detroit versus other parts um, of, of the U.S. I'm sure I'm happy to buy a, a car um, built, built in many places. And, and I think, uh, you know, we'll also be the U.S. will, will export cars and we'll import cars. So we'll, we'll be buying cars made in Germany, cars made in Japan, and we'll be exporting, exporting our cars. Uh, we, we do have uh, very strong uh, technical skills, very strong management skills in, in the auto industry. It is true there is a bit of a financing problem there in particular. Um, and it's true there's likely to be some more uh, restructuring. But it's very hard to see um, being, there being uh, you know, a massive decline or zero employment in the auto industry in, in the U.S. as a country built on, built on cars. But the thing about Chad's situation is that he's stuck in sort of a back pool of the economy at this point. I mean, he's in Detroit. It's got to be one of the toughest places to have your life and your money invested at this point. That's true, but he he isn't indicating that he needs to get out. He's going to spend the time uh, in school, and there's some very very good schools uh, in and around uh, Detroit. And and getting your skills, uh, raising your skill level, is exactly the, the best way to make you so make yourself uh, mobile. Mobile. And it could be the case that in three years or four years he wants to move, and he's still a little bit underwater on the house. At that point, my guess is he'll be he'll get a nice offer that'll uh, you know make it possible to take a bit of a hit on the house or move and rent out the house and, and at least cover the mortgage with with the rental payments. So I, I don't think it's 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 quite as a, a dire situation as you might think. I have a friend uh, Pietro Rivoli who is a great uh, finance and economics professor at Georgetown. She told me that the people she worries the most about in the global economy are 
maybe some of Chad's neighbors, people who might be a little older in their 50s or even early 60s who've worked at an auto assembly plant who have a very specific set of skills. And, and her feeling is those folks, when they get laid off, there just isn't many places to go in the global economy unless they are able to radically transform their skill base. So so it sounds like Chad is, just because he lives in the same city and works for the same industry, he's placed himself in a totally different and far better category. Absolutely. It's about how how specific are your skills and what kind of shocks does your does your job or career encounter? Obviously, if you have specific skills and, and there's no problems your whole working life, then you're fine. But in, in this global economy, that seems increasingly not to be the case. So you need to have some flexible qualifications um, and an MBA. Actually, an MBA in corporate finance, which is what Ch- Chad said he, he, he's going for, uh, is 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 uh, is very good. I mean, we may have our doubts about some some of the uh, some some of the theories and practices of corporate finance coming into this, but for sure there's going to be an awful lot of work to be done cleaning up the mess, rebuilding the economy as we go forward. Well, Chad, I got to say, when, when, when I saw Mechanical Engineer Detroit, I thought this was going to be our most depressing economist house call ever. <laughs> I, I think it's actually maybe our most optimistic. How do you feel? Uh, I feel pretty good. I guess my biggest concern is that I'm three years from graduation. I have, I have some cash set aside. I could go a year, year and a half of making my mortgage payment without a job. But my biggest concern is that the industry completely falls apart here in the next year. Can I make it through school in this area? Because I don't, I don't know how many jobs are going to be available if 20,000 people are laid off. What do you say to that, Simon? That's not, um, your, you're, you're not, a, that's not your area, I guess. Well, I, I, it's, it's not my area, and I'm not giving specific advice. I don't know the details well enough. But I, and, I, and I do think it's, it's worth everyone sort of thinking through the risk scenarios um, and saying, you know, having a conversation at home and with family members and saying, look, here's the trajectory I'm on. You know, it makes sense. It looks pretty good. But something there could be some bumps in the road. In the past, we might not have talked about it. But what would we do? And I think, you know, the, the, the point for Chad would be he should complete the education, get the degree. And I'm sure his school uh, would, would be very supportive in that context. And I'm sure his wife and other family members would, would be very supportive. Once he gets the qualification, uh, then I, I think he's, he's going to do he's going to do very well. So uh, as long as the cash is king in, in this situation, if you've got the cash, if you've got the cash flow, um, stay the course, complete your education. Uh, and, and you and, and the U.S. economy will will do well. If if you don't have the cash, then you got to you got to uh, talk to your family and friends and figure out, um, you know, how 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 do you best get to the point where you've completed the education? Great, Chad. I I hope this this information helps, and and we're looking forward to a bright future for you. Thank once you. you get through it was this. Reassuring. Thanks to Simon Johnson for another great Economist House Call. And thanks to you. Keep those stories coming. Just write to us at planetmoney at npr.org. That's all for today. I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. If I lay here, if I just lay here, would you lie